Hey there, Conquerors. Mike here to remind you all that we are now on Patreon. So if you like Conquering Columbus and hearing all the cool stories from people here in the city, head over to www.patreon.com backslash Conquering Columbus. And there you can sign up to donate and be one of our patrons, which is a way to support us via small monthly donations. And it uh, keeps the podcast up and running and keeps allowing us to uh, bring great interviews to you in the future. So please head on over there and check it out. And without further ado, let's get to the episode. Could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey everybody, welcome to Conquering Columbus. On this episode, we have Blake Compton, and I'm going to kick it over to my co-host, Mike Minucci. Let him give you guys some background on Blake. Alright guys, please ignore Josh, but uh, today we've got a great guest on the show. His name's Blake Compton, and Blake is the CEO of Compton Construction here in Columbus, and he left Brexton LLC in 2012 to revive his grandfather's old construction business, and after leaving, he built out a niche with breweries in the Columbus area and has worked on amazing projects after that here in the Columbus area with Hot Chicken Takeover, the Pursuit Men's Store, and the Columbus Idea Foundry. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Blake. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. Good. How's your day going so far? Good? It is uh, full of construction stuff. Nice. That would make sense. So you were telling us a little bit before this uh, that you know it rained this weekend and you were having a little problems due to the rain. Yeah, it's one of the glamorous side of our business is you don't, you don't always think about... Uh, how the weather affects uh, the buildings, especially when you're putting in new winding windows or uh, cutting in, uh, you know, 15 foot by 60 foot skylights. Uh, water gets into your buildings, and you have to deal with it afterwards or during. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right, but at least you know the weather here in Columbus is always predictable, right? Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at least you picked the the perfect state in the world for creating yeah. a construction business. So kind of let's let's start back in the beginning and. Talk about how you got started in construction. Tell me a little bit about Brexton, too. I don't know much about Brexton and then what you were doing there and how that path came about. Yeah, so Brexton is... Uh, I worked for Brexton in a few different ways, uh, and that was really where I began my career in construction in 2005. Um, I was delivering pizzas in 2005. I was a year out of uh, high school, a year into college, and uh, I got sick. I had saved a bunch of money, went to Brazil to play soccer, which was a cool experience. But then I was like totally done with delivering pizzas. And I, I asked my dad, I was like, Dad, please, can I just go do anything other than deliver pizzas? And he gave me an opportunity uh, as a, a laborer to push a broom on job sites. Um, and so for a couple of summers, I was working at um, Brexton. Um, and it was a company that he was a part owner of. Um, it was a small kind of boutique development company um, that did construction projects. Um, and as I worked 
uh, my way uh, through the first few summers of doing that job, I did kind of find, uh, uh, start to find a love for the construction um, and building of, of buildings and, and building spaces for people to, you know, use and kind of grow their own businesses. Mm-hmm. And was he an entrepreneur your whole life, your dad? And did he start, so you said he was part owner of yeah. that company at the time. Did he start any companies before that or, or what was that his path kind of like? So, yeah, it's weird. I, you would think he was, but he, he, he really was just, he, he's one of those guys that likes to be in the background and just work real hard, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, if you're ever forming a business partnership and you like to, you know, you know take the risk, mm-hmm. it's good to have someone in the background just working really hard to make sure that things stay together. Yeah. And that's him. Um, so his business partner, his former business partner, Tim Galvin, um, in, in some some respects, he, Tim and I are, are very similar with our personality types, very go-getters, big picture, you know, driven, um, kind of visionary, and, and Harold is just the perfect complement, my father, uh, to, to he and Tim and I. So. Okay, that's awesome. Right, so you're working at Brexton, and you're liking what you're doing in construction, So, but at what point did you say, well, hey, I might want to leave Brexton and start my own company? And what did you learn during that process? So obviously, I mean, you started pushing brooms, you climbed your way up through yeah. that and you were just did you start diving into projects and actually working on the projects or were you just learning things from hearing them being around the, like those type of people yeah I, I very much learned through um trying and uh, and just uh, kind of I don't I'm not one to dip my toe in the pool I kind of like to dive in and then see if it what what I dived into afterwards mm-hmm. um so I you know it was in 2006 and I'm um, sitting there on this job site, um, and it was my first new build. So the beginning of the summer, there's just dirt mm-hmm. and a job trailer. And at the end of the of fall, here's this new building, this professional office building. And it's in Black Lick, Ohio. And uh, I, I actually drove back there earlier this year and checked it out and was just kind of like, it, it's a soft spot. You know, it's not the prettiest of buildings, but it's mm-hmm. still there, and it looks like a nice building. And, uh, yeah, I mean... Um, it was in that moment that I realized, like, man, there's, there's something about this. And um, if you talk about the entrepreneurial spirit, um, that, that fall, you know, we were finishing up the project. And then um, the business is called the Ohio Township Association. And they take all the townships in Ohio and create a way for them to get insurance and benefits as a unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so this business moved in and they had a couple of other uh, business tenants in there. They move in and they own this building and they're like, wait a minute we don't know how to maintain a building. We don't, what do we do with it? Mm-hmm. And I was just dumb enough to say, well, I helped to build it. So I'll be your maintenance guy. And so I created a contract and really at that point was my first business of my early twenties. And I didn't know it. It was a piece of paper that said, you give me money every month and I show up and change light bulbs, but it was a business. And, uh, I mean, for three or four years I would show up and I mean, it was kind of nice 25 bucks an hour at 21 years you know, 22 years old, like is pretty awesome. And it also helped that there was a couple of uh, younger women there that I looked up to and was quite fond to visit. So it made the, <laughs> the, the, the building uh, great to, to go to. So, uh, yeah. Um, and, and then I would say what I really learned after that, because I started running my own job sites, mm-hmm. um, I learned like a lot of the construction superintendents I worked with um, were a little either over their heads or just didn't know what they were doing. So I learned a lot of what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned how to like not manage people. And I think I never became a great superintendent, someone that could run a job site, but I was always really good with people. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to run job sites through the people. And uh, 
that that really helped me succeed because I could deal with a laborer, I could deal with a drywaller, I could deal with someone 40 years older than me, and I could deal with the business owner or the inspector. And those that myriad of people that you deal with on a day-to-day basis is very difficult to do, and that was the one thing I think I could excel at. Mm-hmm. So. so it sounds like you kind of just, I mean, you took an opportunity to take more work than what was expected of you. You saw an opportunity where you could make more money and at the same time have light bulbs in hot girls' rooms conveniently go out more often so you could switch those. <laughs> it was a brilliant strategy. I'm very, very jealous of that one. Um, and then it just kind of fell into place, so that's kind of cool. You know, it's always interesting for me to see, like, I want to see where the first step was where an entrepreneur kind of took their journey. And it always is, is in some way, it seems like, a place where they were willing to take on more work than what they needed because they wanted more out of what was going on, and then things kind of unfolded from there. Yeah. Um, but my question and all that, and you talk about like you found your ability and being able to work with different kinds of people. What do you think it is about you that gives you that keen sense of being able to manage people like that? Um, <clears throat> listening. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you if you are willing to you know respect the person in the room at whatever level of life that they're at in that moment and willing to listen to their story or what they're trying to accomplish, um, it's easier to motivate them um, to achieve the greater goal. Um, and you know, when you're working on a project, like renovating a building or building a building, that's the greater goal. You know, you're, you're, all, you're all the pieces and parts that are the sum of that building. And so we're all, each of those people are needed to do their job a certain way at a certain time. Um, and I think just being able to like, recognize what motivates them, why they're doing what they're doing, um, is, is a a talent that I hope more people, you know, gain, you know, Mm -hmm. as the, as the world turns. But I think that's the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Josh is really good at having emails go off during the podcast. I have my do not disturb on, but we're just going to edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But that's not happening. Right. (laughs) So you're, so going back to where we were, um, 2012 comes up. You're still breaking. You decide to start Compton Construction. Yeah. And take us through that process of starting your own company. And was there any tension between leaving Brexton and to, to start what could probably be a competitor? Yeah, totally was uh, some tension at the time. Um, and I'm going to answer your question here, but I have to go back a couple of years <laughs> because um, <clears throat> there, there's this gap. Uh, and I'll, I'll glaze over the, the gap of where, so 2000, right. like everyone kind of lost their jobs in, mm-hmm. somewhere between 2007 and 2010. Right. I lost my job in 2009. And from 2009 until 2011, I wasn't in the construction industry like full time. I was, mm-hmm. you know, I was a roofer for a little bit. I was a carpenter for a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but I was, uh, I, well, that's, those are the years I learned how to run a business mm-hmm. and I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. That's kind of really for another story. But, um, it, in 2011, I went back to work and I, um, I, I got a raise even though I'd been laid off for two years, which was really cool. And I think it was cause I had done a lot of work mm-hmm. while I was laid off. And, uh, it was, I think, let's see here. It was like four months into running this job site. Um, we took this personality test and everyone in the company at Braxton and my test said I'm a sales guy I, I shouldn't be on a job site I should be working with people you should don't give him any parameters just let him go do his thing and see what happens and uh, that was really a big defining moment for me because one day I, I'm here I'm this assistant superintendent 
And then uh, the next day they give me a business card that says Vice President of Business Development. The, I learned two things in that moment. One, um, titles mean nothing. <laughs> and then two, you know, th- that, uh, that you're, you should really <laughs> uh, not disturb uh, Josh right now on his email. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, no, the, the second thing was that, um, that putting people in the right, on the right seat on the bus is really important to making a successful company. Mm-hmm. And uh, so six months after that was when I, when I left. So I, I just started selling, and in that moment, um, I said to myself, what do I like? And breweries, in 2011, the laws had changed on the state level, kind of like they're happening right now with the ABV. Um, and so there, this barrier of entry dropped, and the brewing industry was all of a sudden opened and growing. Zauber opened up, Four Strings opened up. And so I started talking to those, and those people and networking. And then I also did that with technology. Uh, I went to Tech Columbus, or Rev1 Ventures, and got to know all those people, and then I realized that like I could, I just couldn't stay with the tech people because every two months they were doing something new, and I'm like, I have no idea which one is going to be cover my meds, mm-hmm. but I like drinking beer, so why don't I just focus on breweries? <laughs> um, and it was going uh, leaving. It was going into the spring of 2012 was when I um, started to just not really feel like the direction I was heading personally was the direction Brexton was going. And, uh, and so I started to look for another job and it, it, it was kind of, uh, a weird place. Cause the, the week I went to my dad, you know, he's, here's this owner of the company and you know, he's proud to have his son working with him. He's proud of what he's built. And I say, I don't want to work here anymore. And I, I need to go somewhere else. And, uh, that week that I did that, I had a client call me up, um, and say, Hey, I've got this emergency project that is a mold remediation situation. Like we've got to, you know, get this fixed immediately. Um, and so, you know, it, it's something that's, you know, highly technical and it's, you move fast, move quick, you know, and, it, and if it takes a lot of talent and it takes a lot of, um, and you have to go really fast, well, the, that's the third part of the equation, right? It costs a lot of money. Um, and so I just realized, like I went and looked at it and then I sat there and I was like, holy crap, I might just be able to do this myself. And I'm like, well, this job would give me an opportunity to do this myself. So I called the client. I called her owners because it was a it's a national company, and they literally none of them cared. They're like, we hired you. We don't care if you do it under your name or under Brexton's. We really you're the you're our only contact. And uh, and so I took it to my dad, and I and I took it to the other owner. I said, hey, I'm, I I want to leave. And uh, the other owner wasn't really that happy, um, Tim. Yeah, he wasn't excited time. about it. And I want to <laughs> well, take this a, deal with yeah. me. So. But, so, so and, and I think it was, it was very much uh, understood, I mean, why he wasn't happy. And, and, and um, you know, but he, he, you know, to his credit, while he didn't let me just take whatever I wanted, um, he definitely, um, you know, he gave me my cell phone with all my contacts. He let me keep my email for a month. And um, we sat down and went over all our clients, and he said, okay, these clients are Brexton's clients, and these clients you can are Compton's, and then these clients are either of ours. And I signed, you know, a one-year non-compete that, um, you know, it's probably not enforceable, but, you know, when you talk about ethics and honor, you know, if you say you're going to do something, do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I followed through on that. And I left him probably, I think I did 900, or about 950000 in sales in 2012, 
and I left him over a half million in projects. So I, so I could have had a much better 2012 if I would have tried to, because all of those clients would have gone with me, mm-hmm. but it was one of those things where it's just like, it's not worth it, you know? Right. Um, now, that, like I said, my father stayed uh, for a month, and I think if he would have left with me, I think that whole conversation would have been a lot different, mm-hmm. but um, none, nonetheless, uh, you know, he gave, me, he gave me enough, you know, runway to succeed, so. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I think, I think something that's really cool about this story is that, and I get this just from the times I've met you and the things I hear about you, is that you have a lot of integrity and you care about more than just money or building something, you know, just for the moment. Like, so it's very clear that, that what you left behind, I mean, when the time comes to the end and it's like, what did I do back in my life? A situation like that where you left something on the table because you knew it would help out somebody else and not just be about yourself. And I think that's like a really rewarding experience. I think a lot of people can understand that in the end you get a lot out of that, you know, and, and people remember that they respect you for that down the road. It's like, yeah. and there's the times are going to get tough. Um, people are going to remember you did stuff like that. And that's not really a question. That's just a statement that I had out of that. But so did he did did the other owner do a lot of mentorship for you during that time? I mean, are you guys still close today? And and how did talk about how your relationship with that individual has changed since then, and how where Brexton is at now? Yeah, I mean, we're, so um, it, it, Tim and I did. I think it, it damaged our relationship in the moment, mm-hmm. and um, and then when Harold left, I think that further separated our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but over the years, you know, now having had business partners that have left me, um, you know, I've, I've recognized that, you know, it, I, we're, we're all just trying to succeed. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, where, I, where I'm at, where I was at as a you know, mid-20s, you know, now, you know, 30-year-old guy. And where Tim's at, is, you know, where he's, he's got a family and he's got kids my age and kids older than me. And built up all of these things. And, mm-hmm. like, he, he built up... His original company was Equity, mm-hmm. and it's a 100-plus-person company that mm-hmm. he sold early 2000s, and then he started Brexton. He sold part of his ownership early 2000s. So, like, he's been there and done that, mm-hmm. and I think that where his company's at now, I mean, he's trying to leave a legacy for his family, and his family was the most important. Mm-hmm. And, like, you can't knock a person for, for living life that way, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so I think we just came from different places. But I will say that, that you know... I, when I had my most recent business partner tell me that he was, you know, he didn't want to be an entrepreneur anymore and he wanted to just go uh, and work as a job and, and be a little bit, you know, get back on the carousel and stop riding the roller coaster, um, uh, I called Tim up. I actually texted Tim. I said, hey, Tim, and I hadn't texted or called him since I think my grandfather had passed away over a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Tim texted me right back and said, I'll call you in five minutes. And he talked to me for an hour about, like, you know, what my work, what my value is, what my worth is and how to approach the separation and how to, to look at the situation, uh, from a, a, from a different perspective. And that was invaluable. And and through the years, Tim's provided a lot of mentorship that's been important to me on, on how to look at a building and how to, uh, work with, you know, a community and focus on, you know, building value and what we're doing. So yeah, he's definitely been influential. Right. And so, you know, early on when you left in the beginning, you know, getting back to the, uh, the kind of the timeline here, um, you were working a lot with breweries, correct? In 2012, so I started talking to Zalbert Brewing Company in 2011, and while we were at Brexton, we got their nano brewery 
uh, nano system up and running on Norton Avenue, which is mm-hmm. just a, a oh you guys know where it's a block from their current location on Fifth, mm-hmm. and um, so that was my first brewery I worked on, and then in within that realm of 2011 2012, then I started working with actual brewing company. Um, helping helping them work through uh, getting their equipment up and running. They owned equipment, had a warehouse, but were piecing all the, the parts together to get the brewery up and running. Um, through that experience, uh, I, I put together you know enough sales uh, information on how to build breweries and how to work with breweries that led into land grant in 2013. So that's kind of the, the beginning right. story of breweries. Right, and early on with the breweries and other projects that you were working on, what were some of your biggest challenges there, and how did your time at Brexton help you overcome these things? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're talking about struggles in the in the 2012, I think it was um, that we had a bunch of hardworking people with very few systems, um, and, and in terms of like company systems, company systems, yeah, yeah. I mean. There, there were systems in place that an individual could run, mm-hmm. but they weren't repeatable, and they were very hard to train young people into mm-hmm. because it was it was very much like I had Harold as my, my father as my project manager. I was project managing, estimating sales. I was wearing every hat like all entrepreneurs do, mm-hmm. and um, and then I had a couple of young guys, and then uh, in the fall I picked up Paul from Brexton, who was a senior superintendent who trained me in the field. Mm-hmm. And so the three of us all came from the same world. And then we had these couple of young people who were trying to learn it, but like we didn't really have a training system. So it was really like, if we would have had better systems back then, I think uh, there would have been less friction. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, we still like worked so hard and we would do whatever it took. I mean, uh, we did a lot of self-performing in 2012. So we did probably... $120,000 in painting in 2012, including like myself and my father did. I mean, we would go out there at night and paint places. And um, it wasn't always like what we were looking to do, but it was just like, hey, we need work, so let's get work. And then we would go get it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, the thing that hit me there was like, and you talked about getting the right people on the bus. And I think in the beginning of a company, like what you just said was crucial that you got to get people, if you're starting from the ground up, people on the company that are going to go down dying, they're going to go down swinging for you and then you know no matter what if you have 10 people on board that'll do that the process will eventually come and I noticed that a lot when I was at and, and Zoko's obviously not a construction but it's a total different world but even in Zoko it was like the first I was with them probably the first year of them starting the company and it was just like Alex and Lacey trying to build out processes and trying to make things run smoothly and it was really difficult at times and you'd have those days where you're like man this is a startup and this sucks and this is hard but at the end like every day buddy was like super satisfied with the work each other was putting in and that's what made it okay because everybody knew that everybody else next to him was giving it their all which I think you know I think that relates back to some of our listener base because there's gonna be a lot of startup companies a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this and I think it's a huge thing that you said about just getting the right people on the bus yeah um, but how did you build out those processes as the time went on like how did you manage past 2012 to start putting things was it just like hey this works well let's just keep doing it to create something that's sustainable you know yeah so I used to describe um, what I was doing to uh, 2012 as 
literally running as fast as I could, picking up whatever I could and putting it in a bag and then shaking it a little bit and then throwing it at my project manager and be like, there's a project, let's go. And I would just run <laughs> off into the distance. <laughs> and then they would be, they would be, they would have to open up the bag and like, everything's there. It's just, there's nothing labeled, you know, like, you're like, does this go together? Oh, wait, that doesn't go with that. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was a lot of friction in like figuring all those details out. And again, we weren't dealing with the projects that we're dealing with now. Mm-hmm. I actually had my sister work with me this is a funny little story that will connect two dots here, but I had my sister work with me uh, for like a month because we were still operating out of my home, or the, this house. Uh, keep in mind, the house that I was living in when I left was owned by Brexton, and um, I started my company out of a house I was renting from them that they've since knocked down and built a storage uh, unit building. Um, <laughs> Just kind of put, put yeah. a stamp on yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah. <laughs> Boom, um, storage unit. Yeah, and so... Uh, I, I didn't feel like I could have like an accounting or an admin person working at my house because the, the field guys were out in the field and they never, they'd they come by the house a little bit, but like mm-hmm. it was just a stop in. Mm-hmm. And so like I had my sister organizing my stuff and like she couldn't make heads or tails of like where anything went and she worked for like a month and then she's like, okay, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so fast forward uh, to 2015, her, her husband comes to work for me mm-hmm. and like that was one of her biggest concerns she's like they're disorganized they don't know what, they don't have any idea like how to put anything together and, I, and like you know at that point I had had three or four office staff for years that like and we realized my weaknesses you know I was on in every seat on the bus mm-hmm. well there's only a couple of seats I should have been on and so I got out of those seats and like it took a while to organize that paperwork but mm-hmm. like now that I don't touch it uh, it's better for everyone so mm-hmm. Hey guys, thanks a lot for listening today. We're just going to take a really quick break to support Columbus, Ohio native Lewis Howes, who is bringing an amazing event back to the city September 29th through October 1st, the Summit of Greatness. At this event, Lewis is bringing together some of the most inspiring leaders in the world to speak. But most importantly, the event's designed with the individuals attending in mind and at the forefront to help them get the most out of the weekend. You can listen to Lewis describe it himself at thesummitofgreatness.com. You can also find the itinerary there, the list of speakers, and pick yourself up some tickets. Thanks a lot to Lewis for bringing this back to Columbus. And without further ado, let's get back to the episode. Um, kind of back to uh, 2012 and, and uh, I think the projects that we were working on. Is that what we were talking about? Yeah, so the projects and how you built out the process, like mm-hmm. how you started getting things in place where it was sustainable yeah. and, and Blake didn't have to do everything, right. or have his hands and everything, right. you know? Right. So that actually really didn't come into play uh, from a construction side until 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2013, though, tw- the winter of 2012 going into 2013, I got my first business partner, Dennis Deverte, um, who just recently moved to uh, Brooklyn, um, but he had he had just graduated in 2012 with a master's in city planning, mm-hmm. and I had known him for a number of years, and, and he had been influential in my life, and he had an architecture degree, and then he got this master's in city planning, and uh, he was at MKSK, and they had just had a big ownership shakeup, and he was kind of like, man, like, his personality was one that he needed to be out there with people, and he was stuck behind a computer every day, and through some other things, we had actually started another company together that year. And so we had a lot of close touch points. And uh, I just started telling him what I was doing and the direction I was going and things that were happening. And he got really excited. And 
Uh, I offered him uh, ownership. I offered him 5% ownership in the company um, and matching salary, which was, I think, 25000 or less. So great perks, right? <laughs> yeah. But really, he, I, I knew that he was in the same shoes as me uh, in that moment in our life where we were both like, we, do, we need so little to live. Um, you know, we're so community driven anyways, like this is going to give us an opportunity to work together and work on that. And the, the systems that he set up for me were really on the business side of things. One was like the processes of, from, you know, he came in and was like, you know, his focus was strategic planning, but also like business development. And he came in and he's like, okay, like how do we, what's our onboarding process? I'm like, cool. (laughs) You know, that's not an answer, Blake. I'm like, Right. Okay. Can I go get work? You know, like <laughs> you're on board. Yeah. Uh, and so he's like, no, 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 no. And like, I mean, he had to have pulled out hairs and like just lost it on, you know, but he had the same work ethic as I did. So for nights, for all these like long days and nights and weekends, he built all these systems. And, and, and to be honest, a lot of the systems ended up not being, um, repeatable or, or growth oriented. So mm-hmm. maybe they work for six people, but they don't work for 10 or mm-hmm. 15 people. And, um, but he laid the groundwork to make it easier and less friction, mm-hmm. um, for building a company. Um, and then the biggest thing that he did was he sat down, uh, with myself and, uh, our marketing team and built our website. Cause before then, um, we had a comp construction, we had the logo, but it was literally like three slides of like some guy installing glass you know, like someone wearing a hard hat. It was the stock photos of construction. And it felt clean. It was a nice looking website, but like there was, there was no photos of projects because, you know, we were less than a year old. What, mm-hmm. We didn't have any content to share. Mm-hmm. And we were very, we were very truthful about, you know, I've seen this over the years, you know, but I was very truthful. Of like if I didn't do it as comp construction, it's not my project. So I didn't like, I mean, we had, you know, hundreds of projects to choose from, from the, over the years for my father and, and, and myself and some of our other employees, but it was like, that's not Compton. This is what we do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Dennis took that and like made the website that you see today and, you know, focused on our why and, and changed it more about the photography and changed it more about the projects. And that was really, uh, kind of a, a marquee moment in our company's history. Cause all of a sudden I wasn't selling anything like mm-hmm. before I had to like really sell and sell the experience to people, but now people go and they're buying before they even meet me, you know, and that's, that makes it so much more authentic, right? Cause mm-hmm. you're not selling, you're just like, this is what I do and we're going to do it together. Right. You mm-hmm. know, and that, that's, that's really what Dennis brought. Um, that was going into 2014. I brought on his best friend in the world, Steve Kirk. And Steve was, uh, came from another construction company. So here we had assembled all these employees and everyone was learning the construction part of the job from one with style, mm-hmm. which was Harold, Paul, and myself. And, um, and then Steve came in, and he, he had a completely different style. He, um, and he, he, he was much more structured. Um, he had repeatable processes because he came from an older company that had you know, built systems over time that were repeatable. And he, he kind of he implemented all these processes. And that was really when we started to grow um, and bring on more project managers because before then that was our bottleneck. It was like mm-hmm. a project manager can only handle so many projects at a time, and so I can only get so much work at a time. And uh, now that we now with Steve's uh, implementation of kind of j- really you know it's folder management, just simple things that you don't think of, but like 
you know, you know, mind mapping out um, how you do a project and then presenting it in a folder way so you can sequentially like, okay, we're you know on step six of this project. And you open it up and it's always step six has that file that you need to access. Mm-hmm. Um, that that is that's been very big and we've we've really used that to to grow the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that you were just really good. It seems like in knowing what you were good at and then get bringing in partners that people like can help you in the areas that you felt like you know, they weren't really your strong suits, which is cool to listen to. And then, so him coming from a big company, having those processes in place, do you feel like if there are people listening who are thinking about jumping into starting their own business, but they don't really know how to create those processes and they don't really have any partners in place, mm-hmm. is something that you would recommend to them to kind of let somebody else's dime kind of teach you how to do it, be with a big company for a while, see how those things work, because those processes work for a reason. I mean, they're big for a reason, right? So... Is that something you would recommend to somebody, or would you rather recommend to just fall on your face until you can stand up and, you know, keep going? Um, it's like, you know, you talk about listening, right? It, there, there are people that are innate doers, implementers, disruptors, and then there are other people who are innate planners and, you know, are, focus on, you know, a, a vision and focus on the details and focus on the process Mm -hmm. and for those types of people the bigger company might be a good place to go and to learn I mean it's good for anyone to get that you know to taste that I think Mm -hmm. but I don't think you know it's really it's like what drives you what makes you do you Mm -hmm. and and if if today is the day like if you're listening to this and you're like okay I'm 21 years old or I'm 50 years old and today's the day I'm starting just do it Mm -hmm. you know um, but if you don't feel comfortable and you don't feel comfortable for a reason, it really comes to me down to what's your story and how are you telling it? And do you feel comfortable telling your story in an authentic way mm-hmm. that you can say, hey, I started my company because of this, you know, this reason. And this was my driver. This is the, the exciting moment in my life that said, this is me. Mm-hmm. Um, if, the, if you don't have that yet, then maybe you still need to experience life in a different manner. Which I think you guys have been great at. I don't know if it's just because you're so out in the community a lot and maybe it's just because I had known you for before this, but I feel like comp construction has like a personality to it to me as a lot of other people that I meet that run construction companies and things don't really have that same thing. They don't they don't take as much value in like the other efforts of the business, like the marketing and the brand and the actual design and the art. Like I feel like you have a real appreciation for art and the way things look and it's not just about profit margins putting up a building then getting out and we're good you know you, you know um I, I i say this a lot now i'm a marketer first and foremost which is different than an advertiser yeah i'm a marketer first and foremost and then i'm a construction guy and i've surrounded myself with really good construction people um you know people that can build things with their hands people that can manage people that can build things and um I, I just truly think that our industry needs a, a, a revolution. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope that, you know, that when I'm 50 or 60 years old, I look back and I say, man, I helped change some things. Um, and and I, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the labor and like our labor shortage and like, you know, our demographics, how they're so predominantly you know, like one type of person, at least in central Ohio. But a lot of it also has to do with just bringing back the care and the why, 
you know, and it's not just about making the dollar, you know, be proud of that shingle that you put on and be proud that it's going to be there for 20 years because it has a 20 year warranty, you know, like, Mm -hmm. don't be like, oh, whatever, I need to move on to the next one. Like, be proud of the craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. Um, I I liken it to trying to what what barbers do have done with their industry, right? I mean, there's it's a lifestyle, right? There's these there's these lifestyle brands out there. Tech is a lifestyle, right? Startups are a lifestyle, but Barbers do a good job of it and like bring back the craftsmanship behind cutting hair and like being cool about it and like everything they do, they're a barber, you know? Mm-hmm. I want that to be said about construction and I want people to be proud about the craftsmanship that um, they're producing, the, the things that they're building. So uh, I hope, uh, I'm glad to hear that it's, it's working at least with our little, you know, uh, speck of the world and, and the way we present our company, but I hope. Um, it inspires other brands or inspires other companies to to worry about their brand. Mm-hmm. You know, every time I see like uh, on, on a service vehicle from another company that they put the quote quotation marks over like their slogan or that they have a slogan to begin with, you know, like mm-hmm. service for everyone, quotation marks. You're like, what is it? Why? Why are you quoting that? You know? <laughs> Take the quote off. Take the quote off our website. Take the quote off. Conquering Columbus. We're not really conquering person now. Knocking buildings down one at a time. Yeah. So, (laughs) and I I think that definitely one of the part of your brand. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you're really community based. Yeah. And that you you like to help the community. You like to get things done for your customers. And I think one good instance is I saw a testimonial on the website from Nicole Dunn, who we're hopefully going to have on later. In, in one of our episodes, but can you tell us a little bit about how you helped the Women's Fund and what needed to be done there? So the Women's Fund of Central Ohio was my second project. Mm-hmm. Our first one was the Mold Remediation, and then the Women's Fund was, um, and man, I, I, I can't, like, had we worked on that one quicker than the other, there was three projects going on in this building, which is where my office is now located, two of which I gave to Brexton, the women's fund. I've never even thought I'm actually realizing this on the podcast for the first time that what my life would be like if I didn't get that project because Nicole has been one of my biggest mentors um, to date and our office is literally across the hall. Um, in fact, every time they get a new intern, they bring the intern sh- interns over to our office and introduce everyone in our office to the new intern. Awesome. And um, uh, so, so we were just working on a project. It was springtime. Uh, going into their annual keyholder event, which is their big fundraising event, and their kind of accumulation of uh, of all of the good things that they've done in the past year and the things that they're planning on doing in the following year, um, and uh, it it just so happened to be like at least to date of me knowing the Women's Fund, the largest event they've ever had. They had Whoopi Goldberg, and like it was at Nationwide Arena, and it was the biggest thing I've ever seen them do it. Every other year they've had it at Ohio Theater which is an amazing location too, but just can't handle the, the amount of people. And um, yeah, I think I just, I sometimes have an opinion when I shouldn't, or sometimes I just like, I see something and I'm like, oh, that's an easy fix. Maybe in my head it's an easy fix, but like for others, they're like, we've been working on this for a long time. Why don't you just shut up, you know? <laughs> and, and I think I was just giving Nicole in our construction meeting some Facebook marketing tips, which I've used Facebook to market for a long time. And and so I was just giving her some suggestions on marketing uh, through Facebook. And so she, you know, decided to partner with me and offered some tickets. She's like, if you can help promote, you know, X, Y, and Z reason, like, we'll get you some tickets to the event. And I said, that'd be awesome. And that was really when, uh, that was my first, 
you know, connection with an organization that is a part of empowering women and girls. Uh, but, you know, they're all feminists. But it was the first time I was around feminists that I felt, like, invited and, like, uh, willing, like, they wanted me around. Um, and that was the first time I started to engage on that level from a philanthropic standpoint, from a community standpoint. Um, and, and it's really, really the, that, that project, Nicole, the Women's Fund, has, has shaped a lot of who I am now as an individual and where I'm taking my company. Yeah, that's awesome. So going from there and to where you are now, I mean, we've talked about pretty much the entire process of building the company up. And so if somebody out there today wants to work with company construction, are there specific besides breweries that you're looking for? And what is the process like? What all, I don't even think from as, as naive I, as I am about the process, what all does Compton do and, and what do you want to focus on with your guys' company today? So I, I definitely, it's funny. I want to work, I want to work with people that get it. That's like, it, really, um, and that's, that's all you yeah. got. If you get it, you yeah. get it. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't have a building I want to build, but I get it. So I was hoping that we could do something. Right. So, and and get it is obviously very subjective. Um, mm-hmm. So when I say get it, I mean like um, I'm trying to think it, whether they get marketing and they get understanding that uh, sometimes you you spend money now to make money later. Like that's a that's one of the core. You know pieces of, of who I am. Spend money now and make money later. You know, if you make a mistake and I, and I, if I, my, if my company makes a mistake and I've got to eat, eat something, you know, and lose profit margin or spend labor hours to make it successful now, I know that we'll pay dividends later because of, you know, ethics and character and all of these things that are important to, you know, running a successful company. Uh, and then, um, and then people that are playing one step ahead, um, when I, when I say get it. So, uh, Quinn Fallon is a very good, for instance, of, of someone that uh, he owns Little Rock down in the Italian village. And mm-hmm. everyone knows Italian village is just absolutely blown up. I mean, mm-hmm. everything is getting built over there right now. Um, and Quinn bought his building like, I don't know, four or five years ago um, when no one was really paying attention. And, you know, it he's, he's about to do a, a really cool rooftop patio um, to his building. And like, when I first talked to him about it, I was like, man, this is cool. I didn't know he owned the building at the time. And I was like, this is cool. This is going to be really expensive. I really hope this guy owns the building. And when he told me that, I'm like, oh, you get it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, again, it, it, he's in a place in his career where, you know, he just wants his, his little piece of the pie and then that's it. Mm-hmm. And, um, but to know he's got this building that's worth way more than he paid for it, that, it, you know, he can put any amount of money into it and it's going to be worth that or more. Um, those are the types of people that I'm looking for, you know, not someone that is like, uh, really short sighted, really thinking like, okay, I need to sign a one year lease here and then I'm going to sign another one year lease and another one year lease. Someone that like is in it for the long haul Mm -hmm. and, and is trying to change the community with what they're doing. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that that's important, whether they, if it's just in their one little building or if it's a greater like movement in, in a community like Franklinton mm-hmm. or even what Troy Allen's doing with uh, Penn's Mechanical Company. I mean, that project, 15,000 square foot bar, who does that, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and he gets it from a marketing standpoint. He's really building a brand and he's building a moment. I mean, I've never worked with a client that is as sophisticated as him when it comes to seeing the aesthetic before it's built. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, when they look at drawings, they like kind of understand it, mm-hmm. but I don't see, think they're viewing it through the aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And so he's like 
conduit needs to go this way, ductwork can't go over here, it needs to go over here. And he's we're going through this experience, you know, and it's still there's just dirt on the ground. There's mm-hmm. not you know, we're not, we don't have the pipe hung. He's not like, I don't like it there. Can you move it over here? Mm-hmm. You know, so like that's, those are the types of people I want to work with. The ones that really, they get the aesthetic, but then also get like what they're doing for the community. Yeah, starting with that why and then, you know, building that out from there. I think what's really cool about that and thinking about like if I want on my own, own business someday, I want to, like you said, work with people who I'm excited to work with. In the end, I'm excited about what I did with the project. And then, if I make money on top of that, it's like, cool. You know, I mean, it's going to be good. I mean, I maybe I want to make a lot of money. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But I think like starting with the why is cool because in the end you, you hit all, all the points and the whole entire journey is, is really well um, enjoyed. And I think it's a cool experience, but talk about that rolls nicely into the Columbus idea foundry and what you guys are doing for them and what that project's all about. And maybe even how they reached out to you or how that kind of started. Yeah. I mean, if you, it, there's if you're always playing for the and at some point you you have to change your mindset right but when you're a young person if you're playing for the end game right you know you're like at the end of my career I'm going to do this thing or I'm going to be I won't have done this thing um uh it's always just about like getting involved and just keep going and uh you know sometimes that means you make less money um, I, for the record, do want to make money and enjoy making money. It lets me do a lot of fun things. Um, I just generally like to spend a lot of money. So um, whether it's for the community <laughs> or for, for you know, my company, I, I just, I like, I, I enjoy not being inhibited of, of like, constraints. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, I'm okay with, you know, losing some money if I have to to succeed on a project. But um, with the Idea Foundry specifically, like, uh, I learned about them in 2011 because I was trying to make a really cool banner for the Columbus crew and I needed a place to paint it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was introduced to Alex Bandar, um, the creator of it, the founder. And he did this, uh, he, he would always do this tour of his old facility in Corrugated Way um, over in the, the Fried Chicken District, if you guys know where that's at. Mm-hmm. Um, fifth in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, it's in that corner. Um, and, uh, and anyways, uh, he, he t- did this tour for me and, and, and showed me the idea of founders really inspired at the end. He's like, okay, well it's going to be like 60 bucks an hour to rent this space out. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't have any money. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I just what? wanted to paint a banner. And I remember him like looking at me and he hesitated for like two seconds and he said, ah, this will come back around. He goes, he gives me a, co- a key to the building, writes down the code to the alarm, and put it and folds it up. And he goes, "Here you go. Just make sure you put the code in on this panel, not the other one." And like, gave me access to the building the first time he ever met me. And I was like, "Holy crap!" I'm like, "Who is this guy? He's either like, uh, he's either vetted me out, um, which he had, or he's just an idiot and does that with everyone." And, uh, <laughs> and he had vetted me out, and. Um, and so fast forward to 2012, um, I'm going from my house, um, where I was living at Brexton, you know, Brexton house, they had kicked me out and I moved into next door to the women's fund. I needed a place to put all my tools. So I got a space at the idea foundry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I remember he had built all his walls and all his little studios with, you know, volunteer labor to date. And then here I come in with my team and my team built our, the biggest studio, the quickest out of metal and they'd always use wood and we built the whole thing and, and finished it in a day 
And he, and like, I wasn't even there. I was on some retreat thing. So I showed up in the morning and then my team built and I came back at night and I was like, holy crap, it's there. And he's like, dude, you guys actually know what you're doing. I'm like, well, yeah. He's <laughs> like, wait, that's what we do. Construction. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I remember like he was impressed in that moment. Um, and then we just, I mean, we became closer and closer friends throughout the years. Uh, and when I heard that they were moving to the, uh, the, to Franklinton, um, and I reached out and he like brought me in, but it was Cornica Cosing and M&A Architects who are two really successful firms that, uh, you know, anyone in the, in, in the industry should look up to as, as successful quality firms that are going to be around, mm-hmm. you know, through the recessions and, and through the, through the booms. Um, but I think that they had, uh, you know, a too big of a system to fit the idea foundry through. And so they're like just completely bloating the costs mm-hmm. of what the project was going to cost. And they only had this much money. And if they couldn't do it for, well, you know, it was around $400,000. If they couldn't do it for $400,000, then they couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And I think the original budget was, you know, over $2 million. And it's just like, this isn't going to work. Mm-hmm. We, we came in and like, I brought in one of my uh, architect uh, friends, uh, Brent Foley with Triad Architects, and said... You know, like, here's what we have to do. We had some adaptive reuse projects that we had done and, and could relate to the building and say, hey, here's what we do at this building. Um, and uh, I, you know, I brought um, Jim Sweeney of Franklinton Development Association, owned the building. So I was really selling him more than Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, but they both had to believe me mm-hmm. um, that we could do this this crazy project for this budget, even though everyone else was saying it was, you know, four, five times that. Um, and... Uh, you know, I just kept talking to him and meeting with him in Franklinton and getting to know him. And it wasn't until 2013, and it was the uh, Dragon Boat Race um, on on the riverbank. And I think it was the last time that they did it before they did all of the, uh, you know, the river improvements. And uh, I was on the Franklinton team. And that was the first time I think Jim and all these other Franklinton people had really engaged with me outside of like, you know, a, a, a networking event or a bar. And so here I am just being me, like having a fun time. And like, like during our trial runs, I would hold the paddle in the air and like hoot and holler and no one else in the entire event was doing that, but I would do that. And this is the guy we need to build in our building. (laughs) But they realized that was fun. And like, cause some, I think those earlier years and maybe I still come off this way, but sometimes people really thought like I was just always trying to get the project. And like, I try so hard not to come off that way anymore. Um, because that's not like, it wasn't who I wasn't trying to come off that way, but that's how I was coming off. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, that to me was the moment that Jim and Alex were like, okay, we're going to, we're going to let you build this idea foundry project. Mm -hmm. So that was, uh, it was a weird place, but I think like if anything, anyone that's listening can listen, it's like, you never know where you're going to get your big client. You never know who you're going to meet. Um, and just cause, and I, and I, I did this years and years ago at a, a CYP event. I said, said to myself and I'm, I'll just be honest like I this guy started talking to me and he said he was a junior analyst at JP Morgan Chase and I was immediately turned off and didn't want to talk to him and like I remember telling that story to someone they're like well you don't know who his father is or who you know maybe he owns a company too and he just doesn't want to tell anyone about it mm-hmm. and like I've, I've, I've kicked myself to that you know, to this day on like well one I needed that experience to realize that anyone can be anything or know anyone um, but like take that as a, as a, you know, a, an opportunity to like when you network with people, get to know them authentically and be engaged with them 
um, authentically, and then you know it, it might pay you know three years later because that it did for me and that on the dragon boat race. Yeah, definitely. Right, and I think that comes back to just listening to people and hearing their story. And always, you know, one thing that Josh and I have talked about before is knowing that everyone around you has something to teach you. True. Just listening to them, and if you take the time to listen and talk to them. And I don't really have too much of a question in there. I think think being authentic is huge there, too, because I think so many people think they can go out and fake it in in the end. Maybe, Maybe four people are tricked, but in the end, eventually, who you really are and what your intentions are come out. And if you have good intentions, you're passionately curious about people, you have integrity, and you're just out to grind and, and help yourself and everybody else around you with everybody else coming first. I, I've never met a person that lives like that that hasn't been successful. You know? right. And whether, whether it's mounds of cash or they've just left a legacy with every person around, like Alex from Columbus Idea Foundry, I don't, I've never met him personally, but I've never heard a person say a bad thing about him. And I've heard his name come up probably 10 times since we've started reaching out to people for this podcast, and you got to get him like... He's the dude, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, you know, I've never even met him, but he's probably an awesome person. Yeah. he agrees. Yeah, yeah. He, and he's an amazing story, and he can tell his own story. Um, but you know, he's he's in his mid forties. You know, like he 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 did the the you know go to school, you know, get a higher education, then get a higher higher education. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has a uh, a PhD in computational metallurgy, like what is that? It scares me and gives me a headache at the same time. Um, so he, he's got an amazing story of like what really brought him to the place of like why, you know, starting the idea foundry and like becoming, you know, this, this, this different type of person. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, And you know, I think that's a good place to start wrapping up and you know, hopefully maybe if uh, he's out there listening, Alex, we'd love to have you on the show. Mm-hmm. And um, nice little shameless plug. There. Shameless plug. Hey, we take what we can get around here at Conquering Columbus, as far as plugs go. But um, Josh, you want to? You got anything else you want to add here, or you want to wrap it up? No, I think it's awesome. I think we did a really good job of recapping just in those last four sentences what this whole episode kind of comes down to. I think you've done amazing things through who you are as a person and just being passionate and following opportunities above and beyond that came across your path. Um, and just, you know, take more work than necessary and listening to people and having integrity. And I think that, you know, if you can't apply those things to your life, I don't know why you really could because those are, those are huge and those are going to make or break you. Um, but we definitely appreciate having yeah. you on and coming in here. We know you're super busy, got a lot going on. And uh, very excited to see how the Idea Foundry turns out. Or t- turns out. Yeah, that's the right word. That's what you got. Turns up. Got, turns turns up. up. Yeah, it's going to turn, turn up. Turn, turn up is lit in here. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I'm telling you, we really got to learn how to edit because yeah, right. <laughs> that's going to that's gonna kill yeah. it. <laughs> you can write negative comments on our blog about Mike and, and things that he says during our podcast. We're more than happy to take those. And then, uh, so yeah, thank, thanks for listening, guys. And, and uh, in the show notes, don't forget, we'll have all links to Blake's info on his website, ContentLLC.com. And uh, thanks for listening, guys, and we hope to hear you back next week. <laughs> Talk to you again. What do I do with my hands on a podcast? And we're out. You could drop me anywhere on the planet, in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it.
and you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.